Welcome to the Radical Parenting Podcast. My name is Tony Shawcross. I'm joined today by uh, Kara Porbaugh and by Nadine Levitt. Nadine brings together a lot of the work that Kara and I are so excited about, music, education, social-emotional learning, and the overlap between those three. Nadine, you want to tell us just a little bit about yourself and your background before we get into it? Sure. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, so I am an education advocate. I think um, my entire life's work is really interestingly pinnacled to this, which is I started my career as a lawyer uh, arguing about cheese for two and a half years, and I decided that was not saving the world, so I left that behind. Um, I came to, I was in New Zealand at the time, I came to America, loved America, um, and then started pursuing my real passion, which was opera singing. So I was touring around as an opera singer, um, starting with the professional bull riding, as it would be, which is amazing. Um, and then uh, getting to sing sort of Nessun Dorma with fireworks at Madison Square Garden was insane. Uh, and then from there, I got to tour around with David Foster, got to um, sing with Bocelli, all sorts of amazing artists along the way. Then I had a baby, which was a little bit of a life change, and decided life on the road was just definitely not for me and I needed to sort of take a little bit of time to think about what I really wanted to do. And at the time, I was doing one final show for Steven Tyler for a vocal health benefit, and I was asked to do one of his songs in my own opera way. Uh, and of course I said, yeah, of course I can do that. And then I had to figure out how to do that. And I realized how much music is really about self-expression. And when I, could, when I was hearing his sort of, the karaoke version, all I could hear in my head was his iconic version. And I was like, this is not gonna work. This is gonna sound so cheesy and so bad. And I had to sort of strip it back down to um, the sort of campfire mode of that. I think any good song can, can be stripped down to campfire mode. So I ended up making an app that allowed people to uh, change the key and speed and instrumentation of music so that you can get creative and you can express yourself with music. And that was called Whirly, and it started as just a consumer brand. And then I noticed that that was being used in a lot of classrooms. And the reason it was being used in classrooms was because when you're first learning a song, they wanted to slow it down. Mm -hmm. Or when a girl is singing a guy's song, it's always in the wrong key. And so that's what the use case was. And I got really excited and petrified all at the same time because as a lawyer I know it's not built for that it had you know the COPA compliance and FERPA compliance and all that sort of stuff it was built for 13 and up and so I said at the time let's make something specific for education and I fell way down that rabbit hole and um, that was over 10 years ago now and um, I'm sort of a passionate sort of member of, of an ed tech I now run this ed tech company called Worldly EDU uh, we have thousands of lesson plans we have, um, I think, the largest popular music catalog uh, in any K through 12 EdTech platform. We have um, videos with Grammy award-winning artists, but the thing that makes us really unique is that we really put this social and emotional learning and integrate it into the actual lessons so that in real time you can purposefully say, this is what we're learning. So instead of just saying, hey, Tony, we're gonna be learning this song, which if you're not really interested in becoming a performer for life, you kind of shut off at that point. Whereas if I say, hey, Tony, we're gonna learn the song, but we're just, it's just problem solving 101. So what do we do when we problem solve? We break it down into bite-sized chunks. We recognize patterns. We create a schedule for ourselves as to when we wanna complete something by and check in with ourselves as to how we're doing and adjust accordingly. So that was kind of a pretty unique take on music education. 
And the reason I went that way was because uh, I saw, you know, music education is very different to other subjects. We don't teach math to be a mathematician or science to be a scientist or English to be a writer. I don't know why we're teaching music to be a musician from the outset. I think it sets us up for failure. I think that everyone has a musician inside it. They are a musician innately, but there's so much fear that's, that hijacks people that they can't tap into it and, and until they have a little bit more confidence in it. So why not start with something that they already know and love, which is, okay, let's talk about a song you love. And now let's figure out why you connect with that song. Is it, and you can bring in the musical elements there, like for general music, for example, you can say, okay, is it because, is it the melody? Let's talk about what melody is. Is it harmony? Um, and so on and so forth. So we kind of shifted the goalposts as to what exactly we're doing with music and seeing it as a little bit more of a whole child sort of perspective, a holistic sort of stepping outside of the silos. I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did. And, you know, for those of you who are listening, uh, probably know Kara is, is, is also a music educator. Um, so it's, it's an issue. And I'm a musician and, and, and at least teach my, my son music. Um, so it's, it's an area that's really interesting to us. Uh, but we haven't really made that connection with, or at least I haven't, with the social-emotional learning. And I actually read some of your blogs, and the, the, the connection still isn't very clear to me. So will you talk to us a little bit about that, that sure. aspect? Yeah, so, so, so because music makes us feel something, right? Music makes everybody feel something. And so therefore, it's a really good place to teach those social and emotional skills. Uh, but you have to do it purposefully and you have to signpost it in the moment. So if they're collaborating, uh, we can say, okay, here's what we're working on. And in the lesson plan, we signpost that for you so that you're saying, okay, we're working on our relationship skills and here's how in this moment. Or we're practicing our effective communication and here's how and here's a rubric for us to, to, to use. Let's come up collectively with a rubric for that. But unless you do it in real time, it's not really social and emotional learning. You can't really say, oh, we're social and emotional learning in the music classroom, unless you're really signposting it, because it just that doesn't, doesn't cognitively kind of go in that way, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that that should replace social and emotional learning. I have, with my own kids, you know, I also wrote some books on emotions specifically, uh, called My Mama Says Inside Me Lives a Village, and My Mama Says Inside Me Lives a Superhero. And with those came like um, yoga cards uh, and other toys and, and products. And the reason for that is that my own kids were having such a hard time with really big feelings. My daughter in particular, has, uh, she's highly sensitive and has these really, really big emotions. And a lot of the literature that I saw out there just wasn't very empowering or it was really difficult to understand. So telling a five-year-old, oh, anger is a secondary emotion, she was like, what does that mean, mom? And I was like, well, you know, and she saw the, the Disney movie Inside Out, which I, I personally loved. I thought it was an amazing movie. But she walked away from that and said, Mom, does that mean my emotions control my every move? And I was like, no, 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 no. That's not what it means. And so that's why I created this book for her. So she realizes that these emotions are inside us all the time. They don't go away. They get louder sometimes because they're trying to get our attention. But at the end of the day, they're really just messengers. They're there to, to signpost something for us so that we can connect and we can lead these fulfilling lives. So they're not something to be scared of, and they never come alone. So in order to really get the message, 
you have to see who else is getting loud and who else is with this you know, loud emotion so that you can get the full picture of what's being signposted for you. Great. Carrie, you want to jump in or do you want me to go? I have a couple of thoughts. Um, well, going back a little bit on what you were talking about a moment ago, Nadine, I'm, I just, I've been teaching private lessons for a long, long time, even though I'm a music education person from way back. And um, I'm now teaching at a school again. And I noticed that um, the difficulties that particular students and particular classes have in playing their instruments are the same difficulties that they have emotionally, socially. You know, like I have one particular class that um, really having a tough time playing together, you know, staying together, playing, you know, in sync with each other. And it's, it's the same thing in their relationships with each other. Um, they, that class in particular has a lot of, you know, um, you know, arguments and name calling and like all kinds of stuff going on socially. And I, I, I find that so interesting. So, you know, we spend a lot of time on that in class where I'm thinking, yeah, this of course is a musical skill, but it's really about like, how do you get along with other people? And how do you do something complicated, but also have your be aware of what the people around you are doing at the same time? So yeah, I think it really is all tied together. It really is true, and, and I think that you know that the reason that I think emotions in, in particular, emotions is such a foundational sort of skill that you really need to have in order to have success in any other part of your life. So if you have emotional intelligence, you're going to have deeper relationships. You're going to make more responsible, you know, have more responsible decision making. You're going to have uh, perform better academically. All these things because emotions can absolutely hijack us, and even as adults, we get that right. Like, even and, and it's and nobody's perfect, but the more that we practice it, and the more that we realize that you know, using Carol Dweck's sort of growth mindset work that you, it's not about an end destination, it's like an everyday practice, then I think it really sets you up for success. And I think you're absolutely right. Like you can tell when, when, when an orchestra is not playing or a band or whatever is not playing uh, in sync, there's always other things going on. And so when you can start to say, okay, let's talk about awareness. Let's talk about all the different ways that we communicate. It's not just with our words. How else do we communicate? Okay, so how would you communicate to someone that you're about to come in for your for your solo or for your whatever? Um, let's let's talk about um, an awareness, and that then taps into your skills. But you again, you know, I think it's smart of you, Cara, that you sort of you a identify it and then you sort of broach it as that. You say, okay, this is really more than just a music thing. So really smart. My other thought about this connection between social emotional learning and music is, you know, in a lot of the, the episodes Tony and I have done and our work in Radical Honesty, it's all about processing our, our emotions through our body. And that's how we keep them from hijacking us is by actually being willing to experience them fully, paying attention to the sensations in our bodies. And then they can come and go and they don't take over and come out sideways and wacky behaviors and um and we know that that's a lot of times what's happening with kids you know when they're um doing some off-track behaviors or stuff we don't want it's because 
their frontal lobes offline, they're, they're overwhelmed by what they're feeling. And what I, what I love about playing an instrument, and I'm guessing it's the same for singing, is that you have to be, you have to get in your body. Like, you know, you're using your breath, you're using your, you have, there's so many things to be aware of. And like, there's this, um, you know, it points your attention at something very physical in the moment that's always changing, whether it's your fine motor stuff or breath or tonguing, or I don't know what, yeah. what it's called in singing. <laughs> you work a lot. I know singers work a lot on their enunciation. Um, well, it's about expression. Diction. Yeah, it's about expression. Diction, right? that's the word. I, I, yeah. I think it also allows, interestingly, you know, culturally, at least when I was growing up, I, and I still hear this in a lot of schools that we work with, sort of this repression of emotions, sort of like, don't be so angry or calm down or like that people are scared of certain emotions. And I think that's really, really unhealthy. What music does actually, it gives you a space for all of those emotions. So uh, I personally think emotions you cannot control your emotions and they're going to come up when they come up and they're going to leave when they want to leave but you so you cannot control that but you can so that's level one is just identifying them and letting them be there so the quicker we can identify them and acknowledge them the quicker usually they go away but we really do have to understand like what messages they're trying to deliver to us the second piece of this is understanding so the second step and again, like the frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until you're 25, so it does take time. Um, you know, it's a little of an, a bit of an age learning thing. But the second step of emotional intelligence for me is understanding that your emotions come with thoughts and behavior. And so the thoughts come first, and then that causes behavior, or at least it, 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 it initiates behavior. But your thoughts and behavior you can control. Whereas the emotions themselves are just a response. So they, you cannot, you cannot control the coming of an emotion, but you can control how you think about it and how you, what, how you act. So being angry is totally fine. Punching someone is not fine. Um, and when I go to those thoughts, the reason those come up is because we as human beings, right, we're, we're programmed to recognize patterns. And those patterns, uh, like like if this happens, then that will that will happen. And those patterns are not always correct because sometimes we recognize a pattern that's not actually a pattern. And so that's where the fairy tales of our mind come in, and they start to try to make sense of all those patterns, and we start to rely on them. So it might be as simple as someone's late, they're not usually late, so something must be wrong. And then your mind starts spinning about like, what could possibly have gone wrong? Maybe they had a car accident, maybe this happened, and you start to call, and you start to go a little bit crazy. Like, you know. um, or another example might be something that happens in, in my household a lot, which is, you know, I feel like um, I've done everything right as a parent and uh, for, for one particular, like I, I had a plan with them, um, to get them to school on time, like what needs to happen? We've had a family meeting, we've created a poster for it all, we've got the buy-in, and then later that morning, I check on them and they haven't done anything, and they're still in their pajamas, their room's a mess, and I'm like, guys, like, I did my part, like my expectation now was that I could rely on you and you'd be responsible. And it's hard for that frustration not to come up, and with it is a little bit of the fear that I'm not gonna get them there on time and then I'm gonna be late with my own things. 
Um, there's sort of this uh, also a fear that maybe I'm not good enough as a parent that I can't make these, you know, I can't make these things happen. Is it always me? Maybe it's, maybe it's my passion. And so there's a lot of things that nuances that kind of get in the way, but those are just really thought patterns that are based on very little data. And so the more that we can become aware of those little thought patterns and sort of say, ah, the story I'm telling myself is this, 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 and we can share it with our kids and say, and it's funny, my, my daughter finally said it to me. I was, you know, she could see I was growing a little bit more frustrated and she was like, mom, are you telling yourself the story that I don't care about your stuff? <laughs> I was like, yes, actually. And it snapped me out of it very quickly because, because it was true. I was telling myself that story and she was more aware of it than I was at the time. So emotions do have this uh, ability to hijack us and, and it's because of this sort of cycling of, of thought patterns. And the more that we can become aware of the fact that we're in control of that and we can actually stop it and just by the awareness of it, be like, oh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna rely on that story. Um, I'm gonna stay curious and see what actually happens. Then it doesn't become an expectation and there's less conflict because I don't know, I think all of life's expecta uh, conflict is really due to unmet expectation. Mm. You want to speak to that one, Kara? Or you want me to? No, I want you to talk. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't want us to go down a rabbit hole, but I just, the, and it might just be semantics, but I personally like prefer talking about like our ability to pay attention to our thoughts or pay attention mm -hmm. to our emotions over control our thoughts, control our emotions. Uh, yeah. Prefer the language of like choosing, being able to make choices. Um, like what you said about being curious about, about our thoughts and our sensations. Uh, over control. I'm, I'm, as a father of a two-year-old, I'm just so sensitive to teaching my child to suppress any part of himself that I always just, I always want to find the, the release valve. I always want to find the healthy yes. Like you said, you yeah. can be angry. It's not okay to hit, but I actually do want to find like, if he wants to hit, I want to find the healthy yes for, mm -hmm. for that. It's funny. It, it, it reminds me a little bit of my aversion to the word discipline. Mm -hmm. And I think it all, like, again, it comes with our own stories, right? Discipline, to me, is such a patriarchal kind of concept of being forced to do something and forcing yourself to do something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why can't it be so more something that's about passion and about magnetism? That's about, I, I, you know, you, you get people to want to do it. So it is kind of a similar concept. I guess the control piece is... Again, I don't think that you can control emotions, and I think that 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 needs to that needs to be really really clear for people that in order to have a healthy response to your emotions, you have to identify acknowledge, and, and acknowledge them, and let them be there, and let them uh, express themselves. The control piece comes up only for you actually you actually are the captain of your body, right? And so punching somebody as a response to your emotions. Your, your emotions don't control you. You're actually the one in control there. It's your body. It's your, you're the captain of it. So mm -hmm. that's the, when I talk about control, that's what I'm saying. Like you are the captain of your body and yeah. whether or not you punch somebody is really up to you. Yeah, I love asking that, like who's steering the ship or what's steering the ship right now? Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and I know Kara has had a little exercise too of redefining discipline for herself. What book was that, Kara? Do you remember what I'm talking about? 
Um, it might have been um, who's the woman who does conscious discipline? Oh. Her first book. Um, easy to love, difficult to discipline. Mm-hmm. Loved that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of I think many people talk about discipline like um, coming from the same root as disciple, where it's mm-hmm. like as this as the like calm, confident leader, like providing leadership. That's how I like to think about it a lot. I don't like the word discipline either. Yeah. And so, but for me with a strong-willed child that I have, um, I, I'm develop, I have to develop my leadership capacities, you know, without resorting to control and discipline. I have that same kind of thing, Tony, with that, with the word control. Like we talk a lot about self-control and impulse control Mm -hmm. And I get it that those are things that kids, they do develop over time. And yeah, it's so tricky, I think, like for that to be an internal job instead of an external job where if I do this, something out here is going to happen versus like, if I do this, I'm going to get better at playing my instrument or whatever To me, it's about responsibility, right? Mm. who's who's responsible for whatever whatever the action or whatever the thought is and the reason the reason I'm okay with control in this point is because it makes you at the end of the day there are lots of influences but you're in charge mm-hmm. you're in charge of that yeah great yeah response responsibilities yeah a lovely a lovely framing yeah. for all of it yeah, the discipline, it's funny. And I think a lot of this comes down to, I, who, whose book was it again? It was um, From Good to Great, the company's, uh, what's his name again, the, the author? It's a, it's a brilliant book. It's all about um, companies that went from good to great. Yeah, Jim um, Collins. Jim Collins, that's it, that's yeah. it. And in the audiobook version, he reads it, and he says discipline so many times. And the way he says it, I'm like, it rem- it, I get flashbacks of, like, my, my piano teacher. Yeah. I, get my fl- I, I get flashbacks of, like, people who stood over me and forced me to do things. This mm-hmm. is a kind of, you must have discipline, and mm-hmm. yelling at me. And, and I think it's all, like, our own experiences that we bring with the words. So... I, I, I think mm-hmm. these are sort of personal, and that's why it's always nice to define like what we mean. And, mm-hmm. like, and I think it's important that people have these conversations so that, so that they understand like what the intention is behind certain words. Mm-hmm. I'm going through an exercise right now because we've got this whole curriculum around social and emotional learning. And I went through sort of the four Oxford, Webster, um, um, you know, all the different sort of dictionary definitions for emotions. And a lot of them I just really didn't agree with. And I was like, oh, I don't know which one to use here. Like, because you can, some of them were like, um, for anger, for example, it was, it was all sort of saying that it was for past things that have happened, like that have hurt you or, or upset you. And I was like, sometimes you can be angry about something that's about to happen. It's a, it's a, it's, it's not, it hasn't happened to you yet. Um, and, and, I, and I think none of the definitions accurately define the fact that it can be a wonderful motivator for change. What it's really doing is it's using an alarm signal in your mind to, to release certain things so, so that, you, that you are alert and aware and can protect something or that you need to change something. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really glad you are doing that work. Uh, again, I, I'm, I work in media uh, 
TV, run TV stations, radio stations. I, I do communications work for nonprofits and, and non-commercial organizations. And, um, and I'm just now starting to introduce my two-year-old son to, to different forms of media. And it was, it was initially just books, and he loves books. He's like, he, he could read books with me probably like 10 hours a day. Um, he just loves books, but he wants to watch TV. He still can't really talk, so he's got a sign for TV. And it's just so disappointing. I mean, like, Karen and I did an episode about 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 Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and learned about, like, just all the work and all the developmental psychology that, that informed their, their choices, their words, their language, their approach, their pacing. And you watch stuff now. I don't even want to use any of the, like, names, but, like, there's a, the, the top YouTube earner right now is a, is a well-known uh, children's video producer series. And... And I'm only not saying this not because I don't want to disparage them, but because I don't want to give any attention to them. I think their stuff is just yeah. such trash. Yeah. Their, their music mm -hmm. is such trash. The, the, mm -hmm. You can tell that it's mm -hmm. like someone who's either just not very smart or just not very thoughtful about like trying to introduce these lessons here and there. And it's just yeah. so anyway, I, I'm just so grateful that there are people like you putting that time and effort into it, like Fred Rogers used to do and 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 the people that he worked with. It certainly wasn't just him uh, because, yeah, our kids need it and we're we're lacking it. Our culture is just this fast food media trash. Yeah, I think that the intention's just different. Like the intention of Mr. Rogers was to make the world a better place, right? And have these, and have these kids learn, have families learn, and have this quality sort of time. But it was really about learning and coming together and connecting. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the YouTubers or a lot of the um, media out there, or social media in particular. I mean, your your kids are a bit young for this, but it's really designed for dopamine hits. It's designed to bring you back because you are the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, it's really designed to make money. Yeah. To, to provide yeah. the dopamine it, hits, to get the views, to get the yeah, ad so revenue. Yeah, so you keep coming back. Yeah, keep coming back. And that's something, you know, I, I talk to my kids. My kids are 8 and 10. Um, and we have a no screen time rule during the week. And then in the weekend, they can have some screen time. Because, you know, you have to balance it out. I need my my space too sometimes you know as a parent and I, I still don't want them to be ostracized because every other kid knows whatever the show is you know is or, or and I do think that there are some valuable lessons to be learned and all of that mm -hmm. but what's interesting is I had to like really explain to the kids and I said here's what's happening um with you know these video games or with whatever it is like Roblox for example and Roblox is, is an amazing game has a lot of a, a potential to learn things but in same with the YouTube stuff, like uh, being able to understand that these are designed to, to deliver dopamine hits quickly. And so when you go to, to real life, you have to work for those dopamine hits. It's not just delivered you know, constantly. And so it doesn't feel as fun as, as that kind of media. And so once they understand that, and I said, that's why I don't want you to have too much to it, of it because you get used to just having this dopamine all the time and then when you enter the real world it's not as fun and it's much harder and so they understood that and I think you know that again there's an awareness that comes with that sort of thing that's I think it's really important to explain to your kids like why you say no screen time this is why yeah I just started listening to Dr. Mm -hmm. Becky her podcast is called Good Inside 
love her. She said something very similar, which I loved, which was like, you know, TV is just, you always think if you have a little bit more that it's going to be enough, but it's never enough. It's never going to be enough. And I like that conversation. I've started having that with my daughter too, where it's like, it never feels like a good time to turn it off. It never will feel like enough. It never feels like the bucket is full. If you kept pouring water in a bucket with a hole in it, that's like what it is. So when it comes to music, you know, I really struggle with this because I'm so devoted to like internal motivation and all this. And, you know, with playing string instruments, there's so much in the first few years where it really is so much about the physical coordination and the, the expression and the, the musical experience can sometimes take a back seat mm -hmm. to just like, how do I hold this thing mm -hmm. and do all of this coordination to make it happen? You know, there's no, there's no buttons, there's no keys, there's no, it's very yeah. intensive physically. And so it takes a lot of, of patience and frustration tolerance and like right now I'm teaching one of my classes is you know quite advanced but they don't have note reading skills and for them note reading is so frustrating because their ears have developed way beyond um, way beyond that and so you know I know that learning to read music opens like a whole this whole universe that maybe some of them will be interested some mm -hmm. won't but I want to give them that option. Yeah. And yet there's not a lot of internal motivation there because it's, they don't know that, you know, what's your take on all that frustration tolerance? And this goes back to the discipline conversation. Yeah. Right? I, but before I answer that, which I, which I'm definitely going to loop back to, I was actually a cellist as well. So I totally, oh. I totally, totally get it. I, um, I was in the orchestra and I remember in high school, I was complaining to my teacher saying, why is it taking so long? Like, I'm like, my progress isn't what it should be. Like, it's like a plateaued or something. And I was really, really upset compared to, you know, my piano and my singing, which just was taking off. And, and also, um, in that moment, what she did, she said, okay, do me a favor, put the cello on the other shoulder. Now put the bow in the other hand, now play. And I was like, I can't, mm -hmm. I can't play. And she was like, well, that's how much, that's how far you've come. It's hard sometimes mm. to see the, your progress when there's nothing like you're, you're not working towards certain things and you're not, you're not constantly reflecting back because you don't really learn from doing, you learn from reflecting back on what you've done, right? So it's, it's very, I mean, there is a practice element to it, of course, but like the deepest, like the, the retention of learning and so forth is in the reflection. And so with Well Edu, one of the things that we actually build into our pedagogy is inspire, practice, record, reflect. So you start the process with this inspiration, something that is relatable to them, something that they already love. And it can be their music, it can be a, a video of somebody playing, playing their song that's like incredible. Um, it's something to keep spurring them on, so to speak. And then they practice mm -hmm. and purposefully practice whatever the skill is. So it might be in one lesson just going from th these four notes until it's really fluent because it's a jump, right? It's really hard. Um, and, and you make it a game and you can say, how many times in, in one minute can you play these four notes until it's really fluent? So you can make, turn it into a game. And you do initially have to lead these things, right? And then you record them 
and then you reflect back on okay you record them you can record them in the very beginning and you can record them in the end so you can see the progress type of thing or you could just record them in the end and say okay now what did you notice what did you learn out of this this experience and that's when they think about and again put a name to it and have that awareness as to what they actually worked on that lesson and that's much more motivating for the next lesson so the, the things that I tell um, my kids is if you sign up for something you have to finish the season so for example I probably shouldn't say this but I'm going to say it anyway <laughs> my poor daughter's gonna kill me but she's um, uh, she signed up for a, a basketball team and you know they'd never played before and they lost every single game by like 30 points like they stopped they stopped counting the points and of course she then said I don't want to go it's demoralizing I don't want to go and I said no you signed up for it like if you signed up for it you have to complete it all the way through and so finally the final game they only lost by like six or seven points um, and they even had some free throw it was like it was amazing and they had such a great time and by the end of that game she said I want to sign up for next year and it was brilliant that she was mm -hmm. in that team because if she had been in a team that was better than her I think she would have gotten lost she was on the same journey as everybody else but she was going she was competing towards something right in music class often we we don't have like actually I've seen some people do it where they have the shows every quarter so you're working to, you know your repertoire is working toward a, a show of some kind but often um, you're just kind of continually working in order just to learn and it's just a continuous journey without sort of these platforms to stop and reflect and say wow look how far I've come look at what I've done and those are those dopamine hits I think those are those um, moments where you get to pat yourself on the back and they're really important in the learning process so that you give space throughout the journey where you say look at what you've learned reflect back on it and be proud of yourself take a pause and be proud of that and then you've solidified that level and then you can keep moving I hope that sort of answered the question it aids grit for sure yeah I, I want to throw in just like maybe a, a counterpoint mm -hmm. potential because I am so curious about this so like I really want my son to love water I want him to be safe in water I, I want to teach him to swim I took little classes and, and online lessons on like how to teach even like a eight-month-old to swim um, I was not raised with any discipline I, I I'm I'm a very you know, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm an accomplished musician. I'm a very good musician. It's always just been for joy and, and for the joy of the moment, like not that accomplishment, not that reflection back on like, oh, look, look how far I've come. Every once in a while I'm playing guitar and I'm just like, I am so grateful I can express myself this way. I can have a musical thought in my brain and have it come out of this piano or this guitar. Um, but I never think like, Oh, I've accomplished something. So I, I just come at it from a different angle and I really like my experience. I like that my mom, who was also a, a great musician, never never pushed me to to practice or, or to do anything and that it just always always felt like play and joy for that moment, not for some future accomplishment. When I do teach, I also teach from that 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 approach and teach a specific style of piano learning that that it's supposed to be fun from day one. So yeah, I just want to at least pose that and get your get your thoughts sure. on that. I just think I'm a big believer in Carol Dweck's work, you mm -hmm. know, with the growth mindset. I really think that it sets people up for a really um, 
you know, it's not, you're not, you, you, you don't just wake up and you don't, even if you have all the talent in the world, you still have to work. Mm-hmm. Like, like a basketball player, you know, when they're in school, in high school, or, or in high school, they might be the biggest guy and, or, and might be the best athlete. But then by the time they go to college, more people start to look like them and, and are as talented as them. And by the time they go to the pros, like you have to work and you have to understand the mind-body balance, right? I mean, you I have to a, work if what? I mean, you don't have to. If work. you want to keep, well, if you want to keep developing at it, and there's the, like, to me, when I, I, I don't know, I just think it's very dangerous to tell kids that if you know talent alone is enough, like part of this is is wanting to develop talent and wanting to always develop our skills and learning. It's not about. Um, I think. I think. I, I, I'm just in this. I might be reading into this, but I think what your aversion is to the word work is it? Because again, I wonder if it or is it? It's, it's, a, it's it a can f- be an enjoyable thing. Like I love my work. Yeah. I love what I do, and I and I love my piano practice, and I do it every day. But I get better because I do it every day because there is some muscle memory in it for me mm-hmm. there. And I just think if we tell kids that talent alone is enough, or that it, you don't, you know you don't have to work at something, then if you don't have that talent immediately, you think that you can't get there. Whereas I think um, even somebody that doesn't necessarily have the talent, if they really want it and they're passionate about it, you can work toward it and and you can always get better. There's no... Yeah. Otherwise I, you just give up. I fully agree that like, no matter how talented are you are, you can't be like a Michael Jordan or like a Kobe Bryant without discipline cr- crazy work ethic i personally don't think that like that's that's just not like how i would want to live my life is like devoting that much time and effort to something like basketball and great that they did i'm so grateful that our planet has a michael jordan and a kobe bryant mm-hmm. but when i've played basketball same thing i've never practiced at basketball my entire life i've never worked at it it's always just been for fun in the moment at, at that moment and and because of that, I've never been mm-hmm. anywhere near good enough to like play professionally or accomplish anything. But it's been a lot of fun playing basketball. Yeah, I mean, when I talk about the shows and the accomplishments, I think that the joy alone for you might be like the accomplishment, right? Mm-hmm. The, the 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 joy you feel is that dopamine hit when you play. But for a lot of kids, like, you know, you're getting this self confidence and the self awareness with these shows. Like, I notice it with my with my own daughter. She's you know eight. And she has these shows. She's an amazing singing teacher who's fantastic. And they have these sort of quarterly shows. And she gets up in front of all these people and she sings her heart out. And it's Mm -hmm. so cool. Mm -hmm. And there's a video of it and she watches it over and over again. She really gets such pride that she was scared and she did it anyway. So Mm -hmm. you moved through fear. And I think that that's 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 a big accomplishment. And I think it's building blocks to greater accomplishments in life later, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, when we say, you know, I, I get that you don't want to push your kids, and I certainly don't. I, I, I think it should always be more joy than it is work, I, but there's going to be moments where you don't really feel like it, and it's okay to l- lose a day or two or whatever, but I think, again, letting it be your child's responsibility a little bit and letting them fail. If they don't, if they really don't want to do it, like, let them fail. But I also don't think that we as parents then necessarily need to pay for their lessons if they're not going to be responsible enough to do their part. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. That's good. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not even arguing. I just think there is there is another another way that I don't want to totally discount. But yeah, yeah totally. I, I hear you. And uh, and, and I, I struggle and I, with I get... it cuz I want to I want to encourage my son like I'm bu- so bummed he still can't swim at age 2. <laughs> and I know if I had just forced him to do something he didn't want to do, he would be able to swim. Um, so I, I, I don't want think you need to, to force them though. I think you can just, I, I think you're right that there are certain things in their own time and it has to be instigated by their own passions sometimes, you know, like, so like being, if you just keep going in the water and there's like a little side for him where, you know, one day he'll, he'll be curious enough to go in, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 He doesn't like the water, Tony. He doesn't want to get he in. He loves the water, but he doesn't, he doesn't. He he still can't swim. Yeah, he doesn't like want his head to get in. He doesn't want to float on his back. He doesn't want to do yeah those steps. I mean, we get in the water every day that he's with me, pretty much. Um, I have a swim spa. I have an amazing. I've I've some stuff here that he that he can play in, but he wants to hold on to daddy. He wants to like stay where Thank the you. water's shallow and yeah. yeah, yeah. But even when you like uh, um, you know, if he's holding on to you, you can sort of. Go oh, and like play with some of those emotions, right? And, mm-hmm. and and sort of say, okay, we're gonna go down. I'm so surprised. What's gonna happen? Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. One, two, three, and you go down together. And you can kind of do it in a game kind of format, and it'll mm-hmm. be surprising to them the first time. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it becomes something that you can kind of continue. And I think we're saying similar things, which is, you know, these things, these experiences can be fun. They should be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just repetitive. Yeah. And I know Kara has struggled with that too as a teacher. Just like, what is the what is that line? Where are you, you know, just like supporting them and teaching them the value of like stick to itiveness or, or or something like that? And where are you, not like honoring their inner compass or or whatever? Hmm, I think it's a partnership. Yeah, it's it's such a tricky balancing act. I think like my daughter is six and she's in her last year of kinder music where they get pretty serious about like they're learning to read music they're they have certain songs that they're learning specific you know songs that they're learning letter names and everything on the recorder and the glockenspiel and you know if i complete was completely hands off i don't know that she would come up to me and say hey mom can will you play my kinder music cd i don't know that she would come up to me and say um, or that she would just pick up her recorder or glockenspiel and do it on her own. So for a while there, I was like, you know, maybe it's just not her thing, which is like heartbreaking for me as a musician. Mm-hmm. But I really just, I kept going with it. And it's like, I would say, yeah, we are, we are going to go to class, even if you don't want to go. And she always has a great time. And, you know, I'm the one who plays the CD in the car and now she knows all the songs and her pitch is great. She sings beautifully for a couple years there. I was like, my child is tone deaf. My child is tone deaf. Oh my gosh. And, uh, she sings beautifully. She loves to dance. She loves music. She doesn't like being told what to do. You know, if you tell her to do one thing, she wants to do it the opposite way. So my current strategy is like, when she's at her dad's house, I'll send her little videos and I'll play the recorder and I'll mess it up. And I'll be like, oh man, I'm just, I'm going to, which one is it? Is it the right hand that goes on top or the left hand on top? I cannot remember what Miss Yvette said. Or, you know, oh wait, is this, is this how you do it? Or is that how you do it? It's like works better if I'm actually not in the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we send like Marco Pil- Polo videos 
back and mm-hmm. forth. And she's really getting into it, actually. Yeah. She's really getting into it. So I don't know. It's so, it's like a, a constant dilemma that I'm having within myself of like, I have a lot of power in her world, mm-hmm. you know? I know that when you play an instrument regularly over time, you get better and better at it and that it's more fun when you get good at it, you know? And I, so I, it's such a balancing act. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I I think the traditional, I mean, recorder and glockenspiel are, you know, um, they often follow those very sort of traditional nursery rhyme style things. Right. But you've done a really good job, Cara. And like, and, and, the inspiration piece of this and connecting this and making it relatable for your daughter because I think that's the biggest thing I mean when you you know as a music teacher if you're trying to teach about Mozart to a a classroom that just really isn't interested at all because it I and I get it like this guy died hundreds of years ago he's you know this you know from a different culture and so on and so forth it's not super relatable but if you say okay well what music do you like and say they said Justin Bieber and say, okay, great. Justin Bieber is a great example. Let's compare Justin Bieber to Mozart, both child prodigies, right? Let's listen to this music. Like, I think I like education to be kind of a partnership where the teachers are learning as much as the students are learning. Like, they definitely are, are, are guiding the conversations, but we learn things from students every day or from kids every day. And I think, you know, letting them in on some of the... Uh, content maybe that you're learning about or letting them share what it is that they connect with because that's to me that's what music's about music makes us feel things and it connects people it has the ability to give us goosebumps it has the ability to make us cry you know and and so it's a really powerful medium therefore and letting kids also have a part to play in exploring music and saying what of this catalog do you connect with? And let's talk about why. And then let's learn how to play those songs. You know, and that gives them that ownership. Can I ask Kara a question? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so Kara, so you're an educator. Um, and how exhausted do you think teachers are right now? Thank you. I saw this on your website and I can't believe I forgot um, the professional <laughs> development side of what you do. Uh, yeah, I'm fully 100% beyond maxed exhausted. And, um, part of that is because I started this new job in September and I haven't let go of my private studio and I do a lot of symphony work and, you know, gigs and things. So I'm, I'm working more than one job. Um, but it is, you know, by far my most challenging job teaching in the classroom. And I like the challenge. I feel like I'm in the right place at the right time, like that this is my work for myself personally, as well as for like contributing to um, this community that I love. I'm teaching strings at my daughter's school. It's a Waldorf school. And um, I don't know how anyone does it. I don't, I don't, I don't know how anyone does it full time for like years upon years upon years. This job is very in, intensive. In, in, in what do you think it is about the job that makes, sorry, I've just turned this on you, sorry, but I just, I'm so curious, like what is it, why do you think it's so exhausting? Is it in part because uh, you don't feel supported or is it the refueling in between because you're giving so much or is it? 
Um, I do feel supported, actually. That's one thing I love about, you know, the school that we're at. Um, at least I feel supported emotionally. Financially, mm -hmm. it's a whole different picture. But <laughs> um, no, for me, the most exhausting thing, and this is pretty specific to my position, is, you know, I counted the other day, I have 58 students between grades three through eight. And that's probably not a lot for many public school teachers. They might have 58 students in one class, right? But so for me, I think the exhausting thing is, A, it's my first year, so I'm building my curriculum as I go and um, redesigning a lot of the stuff but differently than what I would have done 10 or 15 years ago. And I'm, you know, I have one, I have one third grade, one fourth grade, one fifth grade, one sixth. So it's just for me putting my mind in so many different directions and having so many balls in the air of lesson planning for all these different classes, giving multiple layers for every class so that those who need an extra challenge have it, those who need extra help can get it sometime and figuring out how to give, how to like really serve each child. It's so difficult in a big, in a group, you know, and I have small classes. My classes are like between 10 mm -hmm. and 14 children. They're not big mm -hmm. classes. And mm -hmm. to really serve every child is a huge challenge. Yeah, I think, yeah, PD Reimagined, which is the Inspired Education, which I, it, the nonprofit that I just started, and PD Reimagined is one of the initiatives under that. Um, it's funny, at first when I put it out, I didn't think about this, but some of the feedback I've gotten from, from teachers has been just having the words PD, which stands for pro professional development, literally was off-putting to them. They were like, oh, I don't want any more professional development, please. But that's not what this is. So it really is reimagining what that means because it takes at the foreground, so before you are a teacher or before you're a school leader or a parent or a student, you're actually a human being. And those human beings have needs, have emotions, have you know things that they they really require, um, and you know call it the love bucket or whatever else. You know we do as teachers. I think our our go-to is to give, to give, to give. And I think a lot of parents do this too. And I've noticed it in the program that in almost all of the breakouts that I've attended, I'm listening to teachers saying how they can take the information and use mm. it for their students. And I keep having to stop them and say, no, 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 no. I really want you to focus on you. So I want you to focus on how can you refuel yourself? How can you make sure that you have the inspiration and you have the energy so that you can mm -hmm. gift it on to the students? But you have to put your own oxygen mask on first. And I think a lot of, a lot of educators, they feel like, because it's such a sense of purpose and it's such a, you know, it's such a, they, they care so deeply about their, their, their jobs and it's such a purposeful sort of occupation profession that it is give, 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 give. And there's very little give back sort of get, you know, in that. And so that's what this program really is about. And I mean, I'd love to send you guys a box of it anyway, because every, every month they get a gift box to say mm. thank you for being a teacher, thank you for sort of you know, tending to our yeah. future thinkers. And then, um, so we've got really cool products in it, not like socks or, or cup or anything like that. It's like really cool products that make you think about 
how you you can inspire yourself. And then we bring these inspirational thought leaders um, into these virtual summits. And they, again, there's this amazing, I don't know if you guys saw the TEDx talk by Imodino Yang. Um, it was a TEDx Manhattan Beach. And it talks about what happens to the brain when you're inspired. And it actually engages the part of your brain that is needed for your existence. So you cannot even keep somebody alive on life support without this part of your brain being engaged and being active. So um, what's interesting is that you're, when you're inspired, it links to your actual human existence, so to speak, and it shifts mindsets. And so that's why we do it that way. And corporates have done it for a long time. So if you, you know, go to, if you're a part of a big corporate and people are feeling overwhelmed, they're feeling um, uh, like their, their buckets are low, so to speak, they'll bring in motivational speakers often or teamwork, you know, team building activities. But educators don't really get that often. And so that's what this is really about. So there's two things I wanted to get you. One was I was going to get you this box Great. so that you can kind of experience it for yourself, and we'd invite you if you want to go come and check it out. Um, we'd love to have you. But um, the other thing, um, and this is for you, Tony. Uh, well, you both have kids, so I'll send it to both of you. But uh, I was going to send you a, a box of the My Mama Says things because we have these really cool. Yeah. So we have these really cool, cool. yoga cards, for example. Um. And what's cool about those is that every emotion is listed on there. And so even two-year-olds, you can literally scatter them all over the floor and be like, jump on the angry hippo. And you find the angry hippo and you jump on the angry hippo. Or you says, okay, find the homesick frog. And they find the homesick frog. And what's interesting is even really, really young, young kids, they become emotionally literate at like being able to A, see what the word looks like, hear what the word looks like, and recognize it in part by the character, and I know, Tony, you have, you have a different opinion on some of the facial expressions and things like that. We can, we can sort of um, go into that in a minute. But the idea really there is that you can make it a fun game and you can extend, expand on that by saying, okay, now what, what, what does it feel like for you when you're with this emotion? Or what does it look like for you? And so even young kids love doing things like that. Um, and in each pose talks also about what it's likely signposting for you. So it's kind of a fun way to incorporate in a game style way. And we have squishies awesome. and, toys and all sorts of things. So I'll yeah. send you a box Thanks. that you guys can enjoy, hopefully. I would love it. I'll play with it, my son, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to show that the reason that I got into emotional and like empathy training or whatever for my mm -hmm. child is, is first I, I saw like my nephew, who's now 17 years old, how much he loved identifying the different types of animals and learning the colors and just feeling that mastery of those things and and was always kind of surprised that yeah like emotions and facial expressions weren't really part of of that um and and you know one of my goals i was gonna originally call this podcast prime directive parenting i was raised on 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 star trek and and in star trek prime directive is non-interference this idea that like that every time like a a more informed like being or civilization or something like that tries to like mold a developing civilization it even with the best intentions it just comes out worse than if you just like nurture that developing entity or civilization to like thrive in its own nature and its own form and in, in, in the in the way that it was born to be 
And so I just thought, like, how could I be a parent who's around my kid constantly, loves loves my child fully, accepts my child fully? How could I not intervene? And 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 for me, the answer came: if my child is really adept at, at emotional intelligence and is really able to like see the impact they're having on others and see the feelings of others, they're naturally going to want to maximize joy and minimize suffering in the universe and as long as they're considering it when I see things that I think are unethical or see kids do things that I think are harmful to the world for me it's just because they're not considering it they're not thinking about you know the emotional impact of other people and so I just thought if my child is just steeped in this in the way that most kids are steeped in x-ray fish and 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 whatever other aardvarks or whatever animals that they they learn that he would consider it more so yeah, we've been playing with those. I love to play that that game that you're talking about, and um, yeah, that's that that was my path for how I got into teaching my child emotional intelligence, and I he's love it. he's amazing at it. We'll we'll be reading a book, or he'll see someone like hurt, and and we'll see like a character in the book that's that's surprised or scared or sad, and he'll turn around to his little emotion poster on the wall, and he'll point mm -hmm. at the sad emotion you know mm -hmm. figure on the wall. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's he's amazing with it. He's been doing that since like I love 14 that. months. Yeah, I love that. I think, interestingly, we do show uh, in the curriculum, we do show facial expressions. But uh, because I believe that every emotion doesn't come alone, so like happiness can look very different depending on what else is with it. It's a facial expression, mm -hmm. right? Because if happiness is with excited, it's like... <gasps> Like this, you know, like, or if it's, um, I mean, you can't, on a podcast, you can't necessarily always see my face, but, um, but if it's, if it's a, a happiness with calm and with like feeling in love and that's the happy, it's a totally different facial expression. Mm. And so, um, in the, in the curriculum, what we do is we say, here's what happiness can look like. And we show all of those mm -hmm. and we show it like in the groups that are likely with that with happiness or with whatever the emotion is at the time. Mm -hmm. So I just think um, that's why in the book um, I just made it a character because I also thought it was less scary for the kids that mm -hmm. way. You know, uh, some of the books that I that I had read with my with my kids were, you know, you change, your whole body changes color or it's like one emotion visits you at a time. Mm -hmm. And it's harder to identify what people are feeling if you are if you're seeing different versions of the same thing. So mm -hmm. like, it, and so that's one of the reasons that I was like, look, it's not, it's a bit of a, a spectrum. It's not a, it, it, it's always about who else is with that, with that emotion. Mm -hmm. And you, you're the artist for the book as well and for the yoga no, no, cards? No. Oh, no. <laughs> no, oh. no, no, I have an unbelievably talented animator. So I was actually looking for a, 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 a different animators and I was talking to different artists and what I, I had a very sort of clear vision of what I wanted and every uh, the two artists that I ended up engaging I ended up saying no this isn't this isn't working this is it's not what I want and I was complaining about it to the graphic uh, designer at my work at Worley EDU who had been with me for years and years but I never knew her as an animator I knew her as, an, as a graphic uh, uh, graphic designer and so She's a mum too. Her name's Mitzi uh, or Miriam Rosas. And she says to me, well, I think I know what you want. Do you want me to try an idea and send it to you? And like, if you like it, we can, we can explore this. And I said, 
absolutely let's do it and then when it came back it was absolutely perfect because she also knows me we've worked together for so many years she is a mom herself so she understood a lot of sort of the context that clearly I wasn't communicating very well to other artists but she really she was brilliant and she she really got got what this was about and it wouldn't have been the same without her yeah. for sure awesome is that the book behind you on the on the, on yes. the shelf? Yeah. And she yeah, did the artwork for the book and for the yoga cards? Yes. She did mm -hmm. uh, all the artwork for all the packaging. of We have we have magnet boxes. We have uh, these little placemats so that when you're eating breakfast in the morning, your kids can find the different emotions in a forest and color them in. Um, the idea is really how can we incorporate play? It kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, which was, you know, it should be fun. These things, you know, when when we practice things, it's like practicing yoga. It's still fun, and and having it be about um, these fun sort of installments, regular installments of um, places where we can start conversations about emotions, where we can sort of talk about it, those sorts of things. Yeah, great. Uh, and where can people find out more about that that book? Uh, it's uh, www.mymamasays. So it's M A M A, my mama, because I'm. I'm kind of a mongrel. I was born in Switzerland, so my, my parents were German. Um, so my parent, my mom was always mama. Um, and uh, I moved to New Zealand, and she remained a mama there. So mymamasays.com. <laughs> great, great. There's a bunch of free resources there, actually, too, for parents. Um, and I'm just working on a quiz right now called uh, Emotion Wonderland, mm. uh, which will also be free. And it's for kids to be able to identify how they feel based on their choices of like here's the color that I'm most uh, gravit you know that I'm gravitating toward here's the music that I'm gravit that I like best at the moment here's the uh, these sort of different imagery here's the location that best suits me right now and um, and then at the end of it it basically says here's the likely you know the loudest emotions for you at the moment um, and here are the likely friends, and here's what it might be signposting for you. Um, and then it asks the kids to reflect on how, whether that's something that they agree with. Um, and the idea is, again, it starts conversations, and, it, and it's supposed to bring awareness to sort of how our choices are influenced by emotions. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, even though we're skipping around a little bit, let's go back to and, and wrap up the conversation about inspired education um, and the, the professional development project. Mm -hmm. what's, the, what's the vision for that? How, how or is it possible to, to scale that? It's just such a daunting you know, challenge you're kind of up against. Well, it was brought about really, I've been in education for over 10 years and in every single level of education from teachers to administrators to super, you know, a, a superintendents to even um, the political side, every single person in education right now is exhausted. And I do believe that at the end of the day, you know, the energy that we walk into the room with, it affects people uh, and, and, and it changes the way things are taken in. I know in one of your other podcasts you were talking about Dr. Rosenthal's study, the rat study, and about expectation, um, and it's one of my favorite studies. Uh, he actually, that was in the 60s, of course, uh, later in 1968, so five years after that rat study. Sorry, just to recap for your readers, this was about um, rats and how uh, the expectation that people had for them actually affected how well they did in a, through a maze. Um, and uh, they did a similar study 
five years later with schools, and that one's called, um, Dr. Rosenthal did that with a, a school leader called Jacobson. Um, and what was interesting is, again, the expectation that kids cannot succeed unless they believe that they can and will succeed, and the same for teachers, right? So teachers have to also believe that they can and will succeed. And the bell curve that they showed in the 1968 study was when kids believed that they could succeed and they believed that the teachers were capable of taking them there, and uh, you had teachers that believed that the kids could succeed and they believed that they were capable of taking them there, there was this huge bell curve of learning. Mm. And, and the IQ of these kids actually went up tremendously to a gifted level, which of course we say gifted kids are born, not made. Um, so that was a remarkable study. Mm. Um, and that's what is sort of the backbone of PD Reimagined, which is really, we are first human beings and we need to inspire and refuel people, teachers. And I think that that shifts mindsets into our belief, our self-belief that we can do something. Mm-hmm. And, and it also then affects student outcomes. And so it, it's all a sort of influence. By nature, teachers are going to bring this into the classroom. Um, but first, we want, we want them to experience it for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it is totally scalable. We're doing a pilot right now, thanks to an amazing sponsorship by Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. So Nickelodeon covered the entire um, pilot, along with Worldly EDU. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and uh, this for next school year will scale. It's all free for, stu- for, for teachers so they can uh, be a part of this and it's all going to be funded by corporates. So we're definitely going out to more and more corporates saying let's fund this for teachers. Let's give back and say thank you. But unless we do something, these teachers are going to leave. Mm-hmm. And at the moment it was, uh, I, I think Edwig reported that in March of last year it was 54% of teachers with somewhat likely or very likely to leave the teaching profession. And I think that went up to 70% for high school teachers by, uh, by December. So if even half of those teachers leave, that is going to t- completely cripple our public education system. I mean, talk about an equity issue. Like mm-hmm. there won't be teachers who, who can teach these kids. We'll have to you know, bring people in from anywhere else, but it's not, it's not ideal. It's probably, in my opinion, it's one of the biggest crises that we've seen in education for over decades. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much to say on that. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate that work that you're doing. Where can people find out about that or people who want to get involved or support that expansion? Uh, yeah, you can learn more at pdreimagined.com. Awesome. Yeah, I, I'll just share a personal story. Like, <clears throat> I, I run a nonprofit organization. I mentioned before I was really raised on media. I felt like the the biggest way to self-actualize, I... <clears throat> do somewhat believe in the like Maslow's hierarchy of needs and that, you know, that at the end, most of us want to focus on shaping the world into the kind of place we want to live in. And that's what we want to be spending our time doing. And, and so for me, my organization, my nonprofit open media is essentially just a tool for my and, and those involved uh, with the organization's self-actualization. And I always knew media was, the way I wanted to do it because of the impact media had on me and the, the, the scale and scope. And we help nonprofits and organizations that don't have a lot of resources um, just make a bigger impact in the media sphere through, through social media, through non-commercial media, that sort of thing. And one of our earlier clients was a Montessori school in, in Denver that focuses especially on, on, on 
um, serving underprivileged and children with, with disabilities of different sorts. Uh, and um, just, I learned about it because one of our board members um, whose, uh, whose mother was the 16th daughter of the richest man in the world at one point, his kids went there, but also kids of parents, you know, that to, of non-English speakers who are on, you know, are on food stamps were going to this school. And it was just such an amazing mixture. And it was the first time that I ever like questioned like what I'm doing with my life. It just, it was clear to me just like what a huge difference the teachers in that school were making. And yeah, I'm just so inspired by teachers and by educators. So yeah, I'm really just personally grateful that you're doing that for them. And it's so important in the, in, in, in the public school system, because, you know, if that, if our school system falls apart, privileged people are still going to be able to do homeschooling and still be able to do co-ops and still be able to do private schools and all of that. But, but, you know, we're losing out on so much potential for our society when, when people who can't afford to do that are just not getting a good quality education. And yeah, it's, it, it's it, totally true. It's an un, it feels like an unsurmountable problem because I feel like we just, our whole society isn't, if everyone was aimed at the top of that pyramid of, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we'd have so many teachers because it's such an amazing way to shape the world into the kind mm -hmm. of world you want to live in being a teacher. It is the top of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, in my opinion. But we just have a society that keeps people so focused on the bottom of the hierarchy of needs, just making sure they have enough food, making sure they're secure, making sure they're safe, making sure that they're, they're, they're warm and that their kids have food on the table. Um, mm -hmm. that, that for me, that's a big part of the reason why we don't have many teachers. Cause I just, I think it's, I think it's just the pinnacle of, of, of what you can be doing with your life. Yeah. Well said. I think, um, it, in some ways it shows the interconnectedness of the, the hierarchy a little bit too, because, because the pay often doesn't support teachers as much as possible you know although I don't think it's just a money thing I, yeah. I do think I do think you know there's been there's more money in education now than there's ever been before and yet people are more miserable than ever and and so I think um, I liken it a little bit to the military and I, this will sound weird but it just hear me out <laughs> um, so the military is also a really really hard job and it's completely um, absorbing like you're when you're in it you're in it right like same as a teacher you're completely absorbed in your in your occupation mm. and um, and then uh, then it's it's pretty low pay for what it is and the entire uh, but the benefits are great right but the entire country when you're in the military is so grateful and there's so much um, honor that's attached you literally it's palpable like you get on a plane and people say thank you so much for your service people don't say that to teachers and that honor just it, it they certainly don't feel it in the very in the very first summit that we had we asked our teachers um how many of them felt valued and they they basically came back saying that they felt valued by the kids in the moment especially the younger ones um but they didn't feel valued as a profession so that was kind of sad. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. Our our values in society are just just out of whack. In my opinion, our values in society are driven by a commercial media system that is that is driven to 
deliver eyeballs to advertisers and promote wealth and promote yeah promote um, accumulation of wealth. But what's and interesting, so, see, even the accum accumulation of wealth, right? So behind every super successful person, entrepreneur, business, finance, sports, media, entertainment, mm -hmm. there was a teacher that was super influential in forming who they were. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the stuff that gets forgotten somehow. And I just I don't want to forget that. Like that is, I had a teacher like that who was just massively influential in forming who I was. Mm -hmm. And when I heard that he left the profession a while ago because he just was exhausted and he just didn't feel supported. And um, I got really sad because, you know, there's a lot of kids that could have benefited a lot from his guidance and his sort of um, advice. And, and it makes me sad that, that he's no longer in that profession, so. Yeah, yeah, that happens to a lot of the, the best teachers. They give, they give so much. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining us. Anything else you wanted to steer people towards? Yeah, so it's My Mama Says. Uh, so My Mama Says, M-A-M-A. -A, uh, and the, uh, the other one is pdreimagined.com. Awesome. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate you being on, on the Radical Parenting Podcast. Fantastic. And if anyone wants to ever get a hold of me, I love hearing from you. Uh, you can reach me on socials at Mrs. Worley. Awesome. Okay, we'll put a link to that in the social media too. Thanks everyone. <laughs>